0: Algae is never without a reason, but seldom a good reason and, uh, or a good one. And that was a, a statement by Benjamin Franklin. And even many years ago, hundreds of years ago, when they would look at algae in a stream, they knew that there was a reason for that algae to be there. It was a pollutant. This sermon, the title of it, Sin, there is never, uh, or Sin is never without a reason. See, sin will never be in our life without a reason. You know you, just can't, you know, you just can't look and we're saying we're struggling and we're having issues and stuff like that. And if you're in sin and you're struggling with different things, then there's a reason for it. And so as we get into this today, here's where we're going to start out with Revelations chapter 2, starting at verse 24. Amen. Let's stand this morning for the reading of the word to honor the God and his word. There, say, amen. Amen. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Theratira, as many as have not this doctrine, and that which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which that ye have already hold fast, until I come, and he that overcometh, and he that keep, uh, keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Go ahead and be receded. As I was reading this, and as I was uh, praying over it, a couple of things just pointed out to me. Uh, You know, when I I was teaching on the church of Theratira on that Wednesday night here a couple weeks back, uh, one of the things that I want to point out, and I'll just reiterate real quickly, is out of all the seven churches that Christ sent a letter to, that he, He wrote to, Theratira was the least in significance. It was the smallest. It was out of the way. And yet it got the longest letter from Christ. Had the longest letter, and so you know there's a couple of different meanings to that that you can break down. One is that no matter how small the congregation is or how large the congregation is, Jesus knows and pays attention to you. We're all held to, to to be responsible. Also, the other kind is that we are the Ecclesia, the church. Because the word for church in the New Testament is Ekloesia in the Greek. And Ekloesia means an assembly or gather or it means a place to dwell. So we are the ekklesia. Christ dwells in us. We are the church. How many know that this building is not the church? That we are the the living church of God. Amen. And so no matter how small or insignificant that you think you are or how important that somebody else thinks they are, Christ cares about every single one equally. So that's another version that you look at that. And so, but what I want to really point out here is that every letter starts out where he, Jesus says, unto the angelos, the angel of, and then he pronounces the church's name. Now, when we first started out this this teaching series and preaching series was, I think that I, I feel like I built a pretty good foundation on the word angel, angelos and made my point of why that it's not talking about a spiritual, uh, angelic being. The word angelos in the Greek, it simply means messenger. It was used in the Greek to describe a pastor, a bishop, it described leadership, and it also described a messenger. If you had a bike person out here that was peddling letters from one place to another place, in the Greek, that person would be angelos. He would be a messenger. He would be carrying a message. And so that that we see here that where Jesus was addressing, so we have to understand that Jesus was writing to John or speaking to John, John the Revelator, same John, all the same. And so Jesus is standing there and he says, John, Write this to the angelos. like this to the leaders. Write this to the people that are in charge of this church. Now, I have had some that would argue, no, it's actually talking about an angel. This is an angel. Every church has an angel over it. Well, I don't disagree that every church does not have angels. I pray that there are several angels around this church. But God would never speak to a man to speak to an angel for that angel to speak to a man. Think about that. So, and that's what, if you literally interpret that word angel as an angelic being, that's what it would be. Jesus was speaking to John, and then John would have to go and speak to an angelic being to go give a message to a church. That's out of order. And so, uh, so, anyway... The word here, angel, was referring, angelos was referring to the leader of the church. So when John writes this through Jesus pinning it, or telling him to pin it, he tells the leader of the church to the church of Theratira, and he lays it out. But right here in verse 24, I want to point out something, because no other letter, none of the other seven letters, did Jesus go back and refer to the leader of the church like he does here in Theratira. And this is important. Because he says right here, but unto you I say. See now, so John, Jesus is telling him, write this unto this man, unto these leaders. And so right here, he is still talking to the leadership of the church. But this I say unto you. So he's saying unto you and the rest of the church that is in Theratira. So we look at this right here, that there was a remnant in Theratira. Their leadership was standing on solid ground. Their church was standing on solid ground, but yet the letter was to the spirit of Jezebel, to the ones that were giving false teaching and false doctrine in the church. And here was, as I have been in studying and looking at this, of what, that, you know, uh, Theratire was, a, was a, a tradesman community. It was a manufacturing community. And so that they had what they called a trade guild, which they were the first ones to basically build a form of union. The trade guild was a form of union in the ancient world. All of the merchants, all the craftsmen and all the tradesmen come together and they set up a set of laws on how they were going to govern businesses and employ people. And so, uh, so, but here it was that they had this trade guild, and what Jezebel, or this person that was identified as Jezebel, was saying, it was all right to get involved in all of this sin because what the trade guild was doing was they would have a business meeting, and the business meeting would turn into an improper, immoral event. That that involved uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, immoral sexual activity, a lot of drunkenness, and, and a lot of perversion that was involved in it. And so what this person was teaching was it was all right to get involved in all of this. God's grace is greater than anything that you're going to face. Get involved. God knows and He understands. You have to be a part of the trade guild to be able to make a living, to be able to come back and be able then once you get your living, you can sow into the church. And when you sow into the church, you can grow the kingdom of God. That's what this person was teaching. Now we look at that And we think, well, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. But I just want to point out real quickly that there is nothing new underneath the sun. Because I have seen today, I have literally seen people lose their foundation with Christ over 50 cents an hour for 50 cents an hour. I've seen them come in and say, look, Pastor, God has blessed me with a different shift and I'm going to make 50 cents more an hour. And I said, so you pray about it? And, I, and I've had this conversation more than once with different people. And I said, so you prayed about it? Are you sure this is what God wants you to do? Oh, yes. And I mean, we're talking about people that was on fire for God, that was working and serving. God was blessing them in every facet of their life. But yet they go, yes, God knows that God has He's opened up this door and that would be nearly the last time that you see them. Until the next time you get a letter from the jail (laughs) where they had gotten out of church, gotten and compromised things in their life until that they found themselves, not only that job that was supposed to be a blessing that kept them out of church, also got them into a position that they went back to the lifestyle that they were in and then they got caught and was in trouble. Over 50 cents an hour now, I know the number, I know the dollar amounts, because when I manage people, I just I equated everything to dollars and cents. So, just to give you an example of what 50 cents is, 50 cents is $1,040 if you work a full-time job over a year before taxes. So, somebody is willing to compromise all of their walk, all of their, their, their relationship with Jesus Christ over... 50 cents, which is $1,000, $1,040 over a year's time span before taxes. Now you let the government whack at that and whittle at that at a rate of 38%. And so now you've actually got about 600 and about $45, $50. So $650 you give away to walk away so you can have something a little extra. Yeah, 20 bucks a week. You see how that that spirit, that Jezebel spirit that was teaching, how that that was okay to get involved in these activities was okay because you would have more money to give back to God. But yet, in fact, the whole purpose was to draw you further away from God than you ever had been before because you were getting closer to God. See, the devil is very crafty and he's very tricky at what he does. But here was where that it says that here that does not know the depths of Satan. There was a remnant. There was some leaders. There was some church people. There was some Bible believing Jesus thumping people that refused to fall into the trap. They refused to listen and be a part of what that they were teaching and saying around that community. And the reason that right here where it says the depths of Satan that did not know the depths of Satan because also what they were teaching was not only is it all right for you to go be part of the trade guild to be part of the membership and, and get involved with all that but if you are part of that God will show you all of the tricks of Satan He will show you how Satan operates how that he's doing so that way when you come out of it and you come back to church with all of your money you'll know how to get everybody else out of the same ditch. Hmm. Again, there's nothing new underneath the sun. Because I don't know how many times I have counseled people and told them to stay away and don't do the things that they are doing. And they say, oh, but God is leading me to go talk to these people. And again, that's the last time that you see them because they go to witness and talk to them people and they never leave the ditch again. So we see here that that, that God does not need us to go get in the ditch because I've heard people even, you know, I do recovery ministry and I've heard people come in and tell me and say, oh, but pastor, you know, I really believe that God sent me into the jaws of hell and I experienced all this life so I could come out and have a purpose to go spread the gospel and pull other people out. Well, I'm just going to share right here James 1 and 13. Because this is my favorite scripture to use to people like that. Let no man say that when he is tempted, that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Hmm. God is not going to draw you into a life of destruction so he can pull you out of it so you can go tell other people. (laughs) When you look at it like that, it's kind of foolish, but you would not be, you would be surprised of how many people think this. But I am going to tell you I serve a holy God. I serve a just God. I serve a loving God And then in Romans 8 and 28 says all things work together for the good of them that love God are called according to his purpose I'm going to tell you right now that God has a plan for me He had a plan for me before he scattered the stars into the universe God knows you He has a plan for you. He has had I just want to tell you, God has had a plan for you before the stars were put into the universe. Now, through my own ignorance, through my own free will, through my own stubbornness, I went my own way, doing my own thing, making my own choices against what God had perfectly planned for me. And I got myself into that ditch now here's the thing God loves me so much and his grace is so powerful and strong around me that it is able to take all of the things that I've done wrong and still use me in that plan for his good that is what that god does in our life god does not and will never lead you into a ditch so you can lead somebody else out of a ditch That's saying that the god we serve is an evil god because he uses evil to save people from evil Amen. and god cannot do that can i get a witness Amen. all right some of you say you don't all have to do it but just some of you say pastor I love you, I I appreciate that, that. you can stop now, (laughs) I just needed a little spiritual hug. But see, we go on into verse 14 here at 1 John. I mean, at James chapter 1 on verse 14. He says and he tells us why that we are drawn out into temptation. It's our own lust that is inside of us. Our own desires is what draws us away and puts us in the trap. It is not God that draws you away. It is our own lust, our own desires. It was my own lust, it was my own desire, it was my own will that got me in the ditch in the first place and got me hung up. It wasn't God? God just loved me enough that he fixed it when I allowed him. You know, but the more that I started to look at this, you know, and the one thing that I want us to look at here is Jesus said that that church was never not tempted. He didn't say, you know, to the ones that were not tempted and become overcomers to the church of Theratira. He said, no. He said, to the ones that overcome. I'm going to tell you, the ones that choose to overcome are still tempted. They're still trying to be drawn away. But I'm going to show you right here in verse 25, going back to Revelations there, verse 25, it says, already hold fast there. That word hold fast right there is krateo in the Greek. And what it means is to have a power or be powerful. It also means to become or to get powerful. But that which that ye get powerful, become powerful, till I come back. So that tells me that there is a power, there is a strength that will overcome us, that when temptation comes, when the enemy comes knocking on the door, there is a power that will overwhelm me, that will pick me up, that will guide me through the temptations and attack of the enemy if I will simply listen. You know, the Word of God tells us that with every temptation that God is faithful to make a way for us that we'll be able to bear it, and He'll make a way of escape for us. He will make a way out for us. You know, I was uh, as I was putting this together, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter twelve, verse one, and. Uh, Very quickly, I'm just going to lay a foundation, uh, some teaching on the book of Deuteronomy. So if you don't know much about the book of Deuteronomy, you probably need to get out a pencil, an ink pen, a crayon, a booger, some air wax or something like that, and some paper and write this down. And uh, So whatever that you have to mark with, uh, it will be beneficial to you. But uh, the book of Deuteronomy, that was the last book that Moses wrote. How many know that the first five books of the Bible is called the Torah? Uh, It's the Hebrew Torah. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which is the Torah. The Deuteronomy, Book of Deuteronomy, was the last book that he wrote. Now, what the Book of Deuteronomy does is, is it reiterates everything in the first four books. Exodus, uh and it even goes back and hammers on uh, 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 Genesis. But anyway, it's laying out all of the foundation. Now, all of, there is uh, numerous scholars and theologians that will all agree, and when you read the book of Deuteronomy, you can start to see this when you have this understanding, that the book of Deuteronomy was written as the children of Israel were on the banks of the Jordan fixing to cross over. Into Canaan land, and so Moses knew that he was not going into the promised land. He knew that he was not that that right there. That river bank on the Jordan was as far as he was going. God had already spoken into him. He already knew that he wasn't going, and God had already told him, "I'm fixing to take you home." And so the book of Deuteronomy, if you want to just see how supernatural and wonderful that God is. They, all of them kind of conterred that the book of Deuteronomy was written in one day. That Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy in one day. Twenty-something times Moses notes on this day. He was noting a very specific day. On this day, and then he gives the, the instructions, on this day, God would command, or God commanded us, and on this day, we will do this, and on this day, we're doing that. And he keeps over and over and over referring to this day. And then when he finishes the book of Deuteronomy, he goes up on the hill, hides up in the cliffs, and God takes him home. And the reason for that was this book of Deuteronomy was the instructions that was given to Joshua to carry out of what they were supposed to do when they went into the land of Canaan. And picking up with that in mind, verse 1 on chapter 12, it says, These are the statutes of judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it. All of the days that ye live upon the earth. How many days? All. 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 So there is things that all of the days. How many know that we are still part of all of the days? See, there are some things even in the Old Testament that God commands us to still do. And we don't do a very good job of it. We are faithful to celebrate a lot of holidays, but very seldom do we ever celebrate any of the seven feasts that God commanded us to celebrate forever, for all eternity. You know, when we come even through the thousand year millennial reign, and even when we get into the throne room of God and we're in heaven, in the new heaven, and in the new earth forever and ever and ever, these seven feasts we'll still celebrate because it says for all of eternity. So, God means what he says when he says all or forever or all of. So, we get here and he's telling him upon all or for every day that you live upon the earth. For all of them. To what? To possess it. Yarash means to seize, take possession of, and to occupy. So if we're going to occupy, we're going to seize, we're going to take control of some land, then there's some things that we're going to have to do for every single day that we are left on this earth. Okay, I don't guess y'all like that. There's things in your Christian walk that you just can't keep from doing, that you're going to have to do. Yes, you have the grace of God that is working in your life. You have the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ that is going to be, that is applied to your life. But there is still some things you're going to have to do if you're going to possess some victory in your life. If you're going to be an overcomer, there is some things that you must do. You're not going to be able to get out of it. We see in verse 2 there that Moses told them that when they entered the land of Canaan that they were to destroy everything in the land of Canaan. Destroy everything. He was saying there is nothing good in the land of Canaan except what I have given you. Everything else you must destroy, you must wipe out, you must leave no evidence of the enemy. Now I'm paraphrased that very heavily with H H U interpretation. And for some of you you may not know that, but that's Hillbilly Hill University terms. Uh, So but anyway, why? Why did God tell them to go into this new land and wipe out everything? He told him, he said, you tear down every idol, you tear down every altar that is on a high place, every beast, every animal, every woman, every child, every man, you wipe it out. Now I've had some come and say, this is exactly why I don't serve God. Because anybody that would command to destroy anything, and anybody, any woman and child, I ain't serving them. And I just simply tell them that they don't understand God's love. See, because what Moses, God showed Moses right here of why that they were to clean and purge the land. God showed Moses that they were saint worshipers, that they were baby sacrificers. These people were sacrificing their children. They were cannibalists. They were eating flesh. They were drinking human blood. They were satanic, demon-possessed, demon-organized group of people. And what God was saying, I have made a promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the Messiah would come through their lineage, and you need to wipe out... Destroy the promise that I am sending through your lineage. Now we know that the children of Israel did not do what God had commanded them. When they went into the land of Canaan, for a while, they were doing good. They were conquering and destroying and tearing down, but Satan found some access. And when he found that access into some of the people of the Israelites, they started to compromise. And as they started to compromise, they lost battles. And then they quit killing and they quit purging the land. And pretty soon they started compromising and making deals for it and stuff like that. And then what happened was, even though the Canaanites... Serving their their devil-worshipping pagan gods even though that they were not flourishing and prospering like the children of Israel was flourishing and prospering serving God Almighty. They looked at the Canaanites and they wanted what the Canaanites had. And they left God, The God that led them out of Egypt. The God that led them across the Red Sea. The God that put clothes on their back that would not wear out. The God that put shoes on their feet that would not wear out. The God that fed them from heaven. The God that gave them water out of a rock. The God that led them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. The living God. Are made by man's hand. Sin always has a way of deceiving and distracting and luring us into something no matter what, how good that God has given us. Every single time sin is more distractive than what that we actually have even when you can't get no better. I want to tell you how sin works. I grew up in old-time holiness church where that the mark of holiness was how high you could get your bun, how long your dress could be, how long your sleeves could be on your shirt. It was, I was literally taught, and I was told that it was a sin to chew gum in church. I'm going to tell you, even to this day, it's hard for me to break away from that doctrine because I believe you ought to be 21 years old before you can chew gum. Amen. See how the, the enemy can make strongholds in your life? So but but anyway you know, I was taught that you had to live and act a certain way. And then when they come in there and they would talk and they were preaching and, and to a nine year old kid they said, serving God is fun, serving God is a blast. And I'm sitting there on a pew at nine years old and thinking this stinks because I can't go to football games, I can't go to basketball games, I can't go to the show, I can't watch TV, I can't listen to the radio, I can't do any of these things. You tell me at nine years old that this is fun? And even though that I had the most precious gifts in me, and I had everything that would give me a good foundation, I looked at the world and seen what they had. I was saved and filled with the Spirit at eight years old, preached my first message at nine, and I was getting high by ten. See, the devil has a way of drawing us and making us look at things outside and making them look more attractive than what we actually have. When we have everything in our lives. Proverbs 15 and 8, and so uh, somebody just do this right here. Help me out do this. Throwing out the anchor, we're fixing to bring this to a halt. Proverbs 15 and 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayers of the upright is his delight. See, here's the thing. When we get ourselves into a situation and we're struggling and we're tempted, but we've not sinned yet, but we're tempted, and we cry out and say, God, I need your help. God, I need you to come right now in my life and give me strength, God. I don't want to do what what I am being drawn to do. God is faithful to show up on the scene and deliver his children from the jaws and the grips of hell. He loves it. But then the more that I thought about this, the more that I realized that, you know what? He loves obedience more than he loves sacrifice. I think that he wrote that somewhere, someone to maybe Saul. Yep. Yep. He said, it is better to be obedient than to sacrifice. And so when the Lord dropped that into my heart last night, and I was sitting here and I was putting this together, and, and all of a sudden I started seeing these things, and, and I'm going to say some of this, and, and some of you may, uh, you know, go, oh me, and some of you may go, oh my, and some of you go, mm-hmm, amen. But uh, we're just going to throw it out there and we're going to see. And uh, so, uh, you know, if you're struggling with fear, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I'm struggling with fear and anxiety in my life. I'm I'm just really overwhelmed right now. And it's like, okay, we pray and then we get done praying and then the next day I ask them how they were and say, oh yeah, I had a good evening. I went home and I watched, you know, this scary show and I watched this horror show and this and that and stuff like that. We had a good time and and stuff like that. But then at night, in the middle of the night, I woke back up and I was doing good until then and then here it was all over again. Well, I'm just going to tell you, that if you're struggling with fear stop watching horror shows and murder mysteries I'm just going to tell you just close that door close it just do away with it because I'm going to tell you that by doing that you're opening up a door for the enemy to attack you, and what has happened is, in this world, if you want to equate things and make it equal in this teaching, that this is an idol or an altar that needs to be teared down in your life, just like the children of Israel left these things in the land that they were possessing, when we continue to do these things like watching horror shows or watching these mysteries or or reading these books that are no good or doing these things, we are leaving that idol, we are leaving that altar up for the enemy to come in and use it against us to tear us down and attack us. I'm just going to also throw this out there that if you're struggling with depression, just stop watching shows that give you false hope. Quit watching Cinderella shows. Because I'm going to tell you, when you watch that, it gives you a false sense of hope and then you turn around and you feel hopeless. Well, look at this. God's never going to get out of this situation. I'll never experience that in my life. Quit watching fairytale shows and God can do something with your joy. Your joy does not come by what you see. It's what you feel. It's what you experience from the living God. Now, here's one that I had some that just kind of cracked up last service, but it is what it is. So I'm just going to tell it. I've went in with someone before and I, they called me to their house. I went in to pray for them. And they told me, said, Pastor, I got a bad report from the doctor and I really need some prayer. I said, okay, let's pray. I said, what is it? And they said, well, you know, my diabetes is out of control. My, my uh, cholesterol is out of control. My heart is, is not doing real well and stuff like that. And they said that I need to lose weight and I need to lose it pretty quickly. You know, and so I'm really, I need you to pray that I can lose some weight. And, and you know, the whole time is, is I have a very hard time hearing exactly... What what she saying, but the Food Network and the Cooking Channel is so loud, I couldn't even hear what she was saying. I'm going to tell you, if you want to lose weight, if you need to go on a diet, then don't watch the Food Network Channel. Don't watch Cupcake Wars, where they're cooking cupcakes all day long, and then sit there and say, I can't all quit eating a dozen of cupcakes. The devil keeps attempting me with cupcakes. Close the door. Change the channel. (laughs) We laughed, but that was real. (laughs) You're not going to lose weight and eat healthy if all you watch is cooking shows. The devil has found a way for you to leave an altar and an idol in your life. And as long as that door is open, he's going to use it to torment you. If you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, then stop going around where it was at, stop going around the people. You're not going to save them people. You're not going to change them people. But I'm going to tell you what you can do. If you really get a heart for God, if you really have a passion for them to change, then you do some carpet bombing. You fall on your face before a holy God and you cry out that God would send a laborer across their path. And then that person that can do it, they can lead them through the word of God to victory in their life. But as long as you keep it going back, you're going to keep a foul because there is an altar and an idol and an open door in your life for the enemy to keep a working in. You know, uh, in this neighborhood, in this neighborhood, within four or five houses and in any direction, I have went and knocked on doors and went into the house to pray for them and to visit with them and ask them if they need any prayer. And as soon as they find out that I'm the pastor here at the church, they start trying to hide their bag and their stash and their rocks and their their needles and their liquor, their mixed drink, their beers. They start trying to put them behind the chairs. And I'm going to tell you, going in there doesn't bother me a bit. Doesn't bother me. Because God has brought me out far enough now that 20-something years, it don't bother me. I don't care. But see, there is people that we got to be wise enough that we can't go back and do them things. 23 years of grace in my life. But see, here's the thing. Satan don't tempt me with stuff like that anymore. Because it don't work, and what that I have really started praying in my life is what I, God showed me. it's not the things that I do anymore that is sin. It's the things that I don't do anymore that is sin. Hmm. Some of you chew on that for a second. Because you think that you've got this thing whooped and I'm a good person. I ain't doing anything wrong. I, I don't watch the Food Network show anymore. I turn that thing off. I don't watch scary shows. I don't have any bad people over in my house. Man, I am doing great. See? And the Lord spoke to me and said, well, what are you not doing? Because that is also sin. Like, what do you mean? Every time that the living God tells us to pick up the phone and call someone, and we don't. Every time the Spirit of the Lord tells us to stop by and visit with someone. Every time the Lord tells us to give a word to someone that we really don't want to give to them, and we don't. That is sin. We're being disobedient. And that is just having just as much of fault as the other side of it. But I am going to tell you, God showed me that no matter where that we are in our life, no matter what facet that we are, what pendulum that we're on at that point in time, that Ephesians 1 and 19 should just get you excited in your life. It says, and now that what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working, according to the working, the thing that is inside of you, that is moving, that is activated, that is alive, that is being productive. His, of His might and power. Well, see, you know, I told you that that krateo a while ago excited me. I recognized that word. I knew what it meant. And it was a derivative of this word power right here, kratos. There's four words in the Greek that describe the word power. There's xkous, which is mighty which means ability, force, strength, might, and power. In the New Testament, this word is translated as power also. And then there's kirtos, which means force, strength, and power, which it is also numerous times in the New Testament translated as Power. But when these two words come together, what that the Spirit, what Paul was trying to do through the Spirit of the Holy Ghost was tell the readers, tell us of just how great and mighty and powerful that this thing inside of you is working. You know, when John wrote that greater is He that is inside of you than He that is in the world, what he was saying right here, Paul was saying that no matter how much demonic forces are out there, the spirit of the working spirit, the powerful spirit, the spirit that is inside of you cannot even come to measure to what is out there. I'm going to tell you, you have the power inside of you. Because when them two words come together in the Greek and in that sentence, it's meaning that there is a power that surpasses every measurement, every need, everything in your life that will come upon you, that will help you tear down every idol in your life, that will help you tear down every altar that is exalted high, if you will only call upon the living God to do it. We first have to make up our mind that we're going to become an overcomer. That's right. yeah, Come on. Is there anybody here that wants to be counted in that group of overcomers today? Amen. Then there's some things that we got to do every single day, the rest of our lives, that we're on this Earth, and that is. To-